Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined as always by my co-host, Ben. Hello, hello. And today we are joined all the way from Australia by Gemma. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Hello, thanks for having me on. Of course. Now, first things first, how do you pronounce the city that you live in? Melbourne. That's right. Is it Melbourne? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's that's far too many vowels. Just Melbourne. Okay. I've, I've made that like mistake. Mel Gibson I, and then Bin. I know that there's a Mel, there's a Melbourne, Florida, or something, and I've been saying Melbourne because I've been to Australia, and they're like, "That's not it." I'm like, "Well, to me, it is." Ask oh. the original, and here's the kick: Melbournians. Oh man, <laughs> isn't that how it's said? It is, yeah. Yeah. So they have things um, a little better. How is the Floridian one said? Melbourne. Yes. Ooh. It's yeah. like Jarry. the French card game. Then again, it's Florida, so what do you expect? I say this as a person with a residence in Florida, so I feel like I can talk talk smack on Florida and New Jersey. I feel like I'm in a unique position <laughs> for the two most hated states in the United States. So That's right, the upper <laughs> armpit and the lower armpit of the country. Yeah, pretty much. Some would say the butthole in the armpit, but... Oh, Depends man. on who you're talking to. So anyway, Gemma, uh, how is life in cold Australia? Yes, very cold, um, very locked down, so can't really go anywhere anyway, which is a perfect time to play board games. Right. Jake said you had the like 8 p.m. lockdown now? Or curfew? Yeah, thankfully I'm not right in the city at the moment, so I don't have the 8 p.m. curfew. Um, oh, you, but I so actually you're can't go out at all with a broken leg, so I'm on a 24-7 right. curfew. Yeah. A broken leg. Yes. A skating incident, right? Got a bit too adventurous with my roller skating. Ah. I I Mm. rollerblade. I can't do the skates, though. I can't do the side-by-sides. I played roller hockey for like 15 years, so. (laughs) That's actually so cool. Sorry about board games, but skating (laughs) podcast for a second. I would have thought quads were easier than blades, which is why I chose them. I can't. I thought that would be like I can't more turn. stable. I can't turn oh. in them. It's it's a problem because I I lean. Like on blades, right. you just lean and you can go. But like for me, when I lean on skates, it doesn't. Like I have to like put one foot further forward. It's weird. I How can't do you get turn used on to it. Stay to loosen your trucks. I reckon. You just yeah. lean. It's the same. Is that know. how you crash? Do you loosen your trucks too much? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just. Got overly excited while trying to talk, and there was a dog around that was also really excited. So. Did you say trying to twerk or twerk? Talk. Talk. Where did you get twerk out of talk? I do love um, the idea of someone trying to twerk on skates, though. So. I'm, it's got to be have been done in a music that. video somewhere, let's be honest. Absolutely. Were you skating with Claire? I was, actually, yes. Wow. Have you seen spaghetti lately? Not lately, only on Instagram. Want to tell everyone who spaghetti is? Spaghetti is your old housemate's beautiful little cat that I believe your wife fostered. That's right. I well, think. We both is that fostered. how it came into our lives? Oh. Yeah. That was foster cat like six or seven. Oh. Yeah. I never saw the previous ones. We had the three tiny kittens. We had Minu, which was. Oh. Only with us for like a night because it was a scaredy cat, very literally. Oh. 
and then Chris, which was this strange cat that <laughs> really enjoyed being pet while it was eating. Oh which, yeah, which I liked because that's like a dog. So, well, you have to train dogs by putting your hand in their bowl as they eat when they're young. Right. Otherwise, they can oh. get aggressive. Because oh. sometimes they're territorial over their food. My old dog, right. literally the only time he would get territorial is over food, but like not with people, only with other dogs. But he was also a beagle, so he would literally jump up on the on the dining chair and sit with his head on the table while we were eating. So, oh, that's so cute. He liked food. Let's put it that way. <laughs> taken after everybody else in our family. <laughs> All right, well, enough about skating and dogs. Gemma, since it's cats. your first time on the show, oh, and cats. I'm I'm gonna get the hate of the internet here, and I don't like cats, but whatever. Oh. I I don't see a point in the cat, but I don't want to get into that argument now. So continue. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just gonna drop that bomb and then not let yep. us respond. That's yep. fine. Yep, that's all right. We'll I'll leave it. We'll leave it that's right. As you sign off later. <laughs> By the way, cats are great. Bye. Yeah, we'll 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 come back around to it. Kind of anyway. like a cat somehow comes around to a house and doesn't come out otherwise. <laughs> Maybe I only have experience with outdoor cats. I don't know. I just yeah, why like would it. you get an outdoor cat? Let's just can I just say that first before we move on? Yeah, why that would is you good. get an outdoor cat? It's stupid. They're stupid. They're literally stupid. You never see them. <laughs> well, because they're it, off, you know, outdoors, not in your Florida. house, being a pet. <laughs> Whatever. Like I said, I don't like cats. Okay, it's settled. I like dogs. Got it. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, no, no more heated it. discussion unless it's about board games. <laughs> okay. Right, yes. If you want to fight about a board game, I'm your girl. Isle, Isle of Cats? That's a board game. <laughs> no, I actually haven't played it. Neither have I, so. Okay. All right, moving on for real this moving time. On. I'll tell you what I have played. Not yet. Teach you. An amazing game, oh. which I believe you've discussed before, and That's it's right. a game that you've just recently taught me, and I am now obsessed with because I love trick-taking games. Are you obsessed? So thank with you for that now? gift. So I good. am. I really want to play again. <laughs> we I'm have just going to put aside some time. My copy is arriving on Monday. My How real exciting. copy, not my bootleg copy that I sent you a picture of. <laughs> I should get a copy, actually. You should. I've had trouble in the past, though, in that I love trick-taking games, and I always want more people to play, especially 500, which you may or may not know is Australia's national card game. Is it really? is a thing. Yeah, it is. I didn't know there was national card games, but that is ours. So I always want more people to play with. And then I recently like a couple of years back, taught a few people to play and then it just got out of hand in groups. It was all anyone ever wanted to do. Everyone always wanted to play. There was always too many people wanting to play. Really? And I think six-handed is trash. Six-handed? How do you play yeah, a trick-taking game six-handed? In my opinion, you don't. But it can be done. You need a larger deck that goes up to, I think, 13s and then Jack, Queen, King. Hmm. It's a mess. It isn't fun. You can either play three pairs or two teams of three. Neither I think Pichu goes up to eight player in the rule book, oh. but I don't, I don't know why anyone would ever play a partner trick-taking game at more than four people. 
Especially when there's plenty of good card games for more people. So why are you right. just trying to ruin the good ones? Anyway, mm. that's my experience with trick-taking games recently. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Did you know that uh, euchre is America's uh, national card game? Or is it? I'm sorry. Let me read this off. Uh, ombre is an ancestral <laughs> form of euchre, which is regarded as the national card game of the United States in the late 19th century, but has since declined in popularity. But essentially, euchre is the national card game. Euchre is huge wow. in the Midwest. Well, it literally says yeah. it does. It retains a strong following in some regions, such as the Midwest. <laughs> so I love that. Do they play on the Fourth of July? Uh, that would be cute. N- no, people just no. barbecue things and eat hot that's, dogs. It's pretty good. At least that's what you I could do. do both. That's that actually true. is what we do on Australia Day. It's barbecue and board game day. Oh, that sounds nice. Oh, wow, it is I, really nice. I, if I really you're ever like here that. on the twenty sixth of Jan. I liked how Christmas was in the summer. That was neat. Oh, no. You're always sunburnt. Then you start the year with a like bright red face. It's just not a great way to start a year. You can have your New Year's resolution to be spend less time in the sun. That is true. So anyway, you played Maybe T2. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what else? Um, played Tokyo Metro also with you lately, which was an excellent game. I really yeah. enjoyed that. And I do want to play it more recently rather, you know, before I forget how to play. Did you enjoy it because everyone helped you out and you destroyed the competition <laughs> or because you also enjoyed the game itself? I like to think I'm not a person that has to win to enjoy a game. And more often than not, I do not win and can still enjoy it. But uh, a I win certainly it helps. Some- it sometimes helps. I, I feel like an for, interesting for game. me, just to add to that point, I think a win on your first game helps. <laughs> but in subsequent games, if you already enjoy it, a win doesn't matter. But I think a win on your very first game helps get you. I kind think of that's like a really hooked. good point. Mm-hmm. I think an absolute, like, you know, if you're demolished the first time you play a game, you're probably less likely to actually see its value. But I think just doing well in the first time is good enough for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't know what a win in my first game feels like, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you wouldn't know what a win in your fifth game feels like either. That's true, but I do know what getting destroyed <laughs> feels like. Let's Not talk more fun. about Teach You. No. <laughs> Oh, ben didn't have a good time with you. Wanna... Yeah, I keep hearing whispers of this. You yeah. seem scarred. I literally went four rounds without scoring a single point. I gave oh. away 200 points. I did nothing for four <laughs> rounds. I was like a worthless oh, addition no. to the game. But <laughs> who it knows? seems like Maybe you weren't I'll worthless to the other team. <laughs> ask, ask Jono, was I worthless? No, it was great. Oh. Got to give that Phoenix away twice to give them a nine-card run. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that's the that's the key to the game right there. There's a lot going on in Teach You though. Oh, definitely. I did feel kind of useless at first. I definitely would just give Jonah the good cards because I was like, he'll use this better than me. <laughs> it's a step up from Euchre as far as complexity. That's for sure. Hmm. I would agree. Ben, I will definitely. Well, first, I just want to say I'll definitely join the next game of Tokyo Metro. I just couldn't this time, but I 
I like that game a lot, so I will definitely join. Uh, for me, um, I played this past week. I played Blood Rage, uh, as you know, Jonah, because we played together. And I, for the very first time, played a game called Zombie Dice. Uh, I had never played Zombie Dice before. Uh, just a quick backstory. Uh, I think we mentioned when we were talking about board game tables that I own a board game table. I've been in contact with the person who seems to run the company that I bought my board game table from because he also seems to enjoy disc golf, which I enjoy. And I sent him uh, two discs that I do not use anymore so that he could try them out because he was talking about things he wanted to try out. So I sent them to him and he sent me in return two uh, dice trays that they sell on their website and included with that package was a copy of Zombie Dice, which was really cool. Um, I didn't expect anything back, and I would just received like this little gift package this past week. Uh, and I tried Zombie Dice for the first time. And it's a, a neat little dice rolling game. Uh, a, a little bit of push your luck, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, it takes literally a minute to learn and 10 minutes to play. Um, you reach into a cup pull out three dice and there's red dice yellow dice and green dice and on the dice there are kind of like a symbol for a shotgun blast it's not a shotgun but it's like that outline of like a cartoon explosion that you see a lot um and then there's feet which symbolizes your victims running away because you are zombies and Dang. then there are and then there are brains um are you're symbols? trying you're trying to eat the brains because you're the zombie uh, in this game. So you pull three dice out of the cup and roll them. If you get brains, you set them aside. If you get shotgun blasts, you set them aside. Uh, and then you can choose to push your luck. And you always need to have three dice that you're rolling. So if you have like two feet and a brain, you will just pull one more die out of the pack because you're going to keep rolling those feet and you're playing to the first person to roll 13 brains. Hmm. Um, and at any point during your turn, you can choose to stop and score your hand. Um, but if you hit three shotgun blasts before you score, you lose your points that you've earned up until that point. Um, I lost that game as well. Uh, I didn't get <laughs> destroyed, though. I only lost by, like, four. Um, but it was fun. It was definitely a quick and easy game that I'm now glad I own. Um, unexpected for me to have ever come into uh, the possession of it. I did not expect to have it, but it is a fun game, and I'm glad I do have it. So Great. Yeah. What did you think of your play of Blood Rage this time? Because that's uh, one of I'm, your favorites or a top game of yours? Um, as my tastes have changed, Blood Rage started quite close to the top for me. It's probably still in my top 10, I guess, just because it's a game I know and enjoy playing, um, but it's not it's no longer in my top five, um, but it is definitely a really fun game if you like that type of a game. So Blood Rage is a area control or known as dudes on a map, which is exactly what it sounds like. You're putting dudes, a.k.a. little miniatures, uh, out onto a map and trying to control various territories in, uh, I guess, ancient Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. Just really quickly, Gemma, have you played this game? No. Oh, okay. Not. Go on, Ben. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so at the beginning of each round, you draft cards. So I know we talked about drafting a little bit. And 
um, there are three ages that you go through and the cards get more powerful each time. Um, the difference between, and I know when we were talking about drafting on the podcast, we talked about Inish, where when you draft, you can take a card from the draft, but then when you get your new hand of cards to choose from, you can put that card you took before back in. Uh, Blood Rage is more traditional. You keep the card. You can't put it back in to the draft. Um, and you pass the cards around until everybody has a hand of either eight or nine cards. Um, at the end of each age, you're going to discard down to one card so you can keep one card between the different ages. Um, but as you play, you're going to spend rage, which are your action points, essentially, to do various actions. So you can upgrade your clan with cool powers. You can invade territories with your warriors or your leaders. Um, you can add monsters to the game. So there's like fire giants, dark elves, um, sea serpents, and ver other various monsters. And every every character has a strength value that you can add up when you're trying to pillage various parts of the map in order for uh, in order to get rewards and points. Um, and what's kind of crazy about the game is there are some strategies that you can use. Uh, one of them being what's called the Loki strategy, which essentially steals things from other players for tanking battles and losing battles. Um, I usually play that strategy because I find it fun to just go in and say, hey, I'm just going to lose now. But this time I tried a different strategy where I just went kind of all out trying to fight people. Um, and uh, my people died a lot which is normal. You go to Valhalla, you get them back at the end of the age, and you can use them again. Um, but I think it's a fun a fun area control game um, that I always enjoy playing when I do play it. Mm -hmm. One thing that I really like about it, and I don't have a lot of experience with um, area control and dudes on a map games, is you know it's a game that involves a lot of tactical skirmishes and fighting and battles, but winning those battles is not the only winning the game strategy. So it's cool that it has a lose these battles wrinkle that allows you to still win the game and people almost are afraid to win some battles because they're afraid of giving you more points from your loss yeah and there are quests in the game that for example one of the quests that i like to take when i get the chances have four figures in valhalla before the end of each age comes uh, which means have four of your people die before the end of the age so like i'll go into a battle and I'll play this card, and I'll have my people die, and I'll get, like, 11 points because my people died. Like, you don't need to win the battle to get points, which is, like you said, uh, pretty interesting. And kind of different than other area control games, in my opinion, from what I've played. I actually do think I've played this game. The mention of uh, having four people in Valhalla has reminded me, but clearly it didn't make that much of an impression on me. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean... I know this is not Jonah's favorite game, so that not every game is for everybody. Some games <laughs> don't make impressions. But right. uh, this was one of, I mean, honestly, this was one of the first games that I got into when I got into gaming um, because I was interested in miniatures. They attracted me to board ga various board games, and they still do. Um, and I got them painted for almost a disgustingly cheap price now that I look back on it. Like, this woman charged me, like, $3 a miniature to paint them. And they're like really good. And the standard dollar per miniature is uh, just to give you an idea. I'm gonna 
regret saying this, especially if my mom listens. Uh, my Kingdom Death Monster miniatures are costing me upwards of $15 a miniature to paint. It's so, a lot of dollars. Oh. Dollary yes. dues for our Australian friends. Yes. Uh, dollars, <laughs> I do, dollars I don't have anymore, so I hope these Kingdom Death Monster miniatures come back soon. I actually talked to the painter today, um, and it could be like two more months. But I have I have the the rest that I owe budgeted. Uh, All right. That's one good. thing that I kept in mind. But yes, uh, disgustingly cheap paint job, and they look really good. <laughs> so I'm not going to complain. Excellent. The uh, only game I really have to report on this week, apart from Blood Rage, is I played a a game of Terra Mystica this afternoon. Played with Jamie, who has been on the podcast, Rich, who has been on the podcast, and Nick, who has been on the podcast. <laughs> So that was a good time. We played on Board Game Arena, which is really nice because it does a lot of scripting for you. You can click on stuff and it moves it around. That's more accessible than Tabletop Simulator for most people, I think. But the caveat is you don't see people's cursors moving around or pieces getting dragged by people. So it makes it feel less like you're playing with your friends and more like you're just playing against some random online opponent. What I like to do for my board game arena games is to video chat with my friends while we do this makes it feel a lot more friendly and like i'm doing something with my friends so did that that was nice uh i made two really stupid mistakes that crippled two turns but still enjoyable who uh who ended up winning that game jamie jamie crushed us jamie got 119 nick got 87 i got 79 and Rich got 71. Oh, but God. Rich really turns... needs me to start playing games with him again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The two turns that I messed up would have gotten me, I think, like 15 or 30 points Oof. earlier. So yeah, it felt bad to mess it up. But oh well, that's yeah. part of the game. Yep, for sure. Always got to make a stupid mistake here or there. All right, Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about Kickstarter and what's happening yes. on it? Uh, very quickly, there were there was one update and one new project this week that I really wanted to discuss, so uh, I'm bringing them up. Uh, the one that I want to bring up as an update, and I'm super excited about this, is uh, Necro Molds. And I feel like there's oh, no yeah, way you haven't so cool. seen the trailer for this. Um, for those who haven't, uh, Necro Molds is a... I would say it's like a, a 90s-style uh, battle board game where you literally are... It's like old-school 90s stuff. You're making your figures out of clay, like Play-Doh. Um, so you literally have these little spell books that have monster molds in in them, and you're like... You spend action points to, like, create your monster, and you put the clay in, and then you squeeze it, and it molds your monster that you then put on the map and fight with. It's um, pretty sweet. But like your resource points is how much clay you have. So if you don't have enough clay to build a monster, like you're out of resources at that point, and you could just use what you have on the map. The only thing that I find kind of dumb about it, personally, is they include a, a because everything from the '90s had to have like a ring that you can use to like do things. They include a a ring that has a mold of a spider in it, and when you kill an opponent's monster you literally go and punch the monster on the board and squish it into a spider it's awesome and i already know like i'm not gonna wear the ring i'm just gonna like squish it down but like you literally like squish <laughs> them into spiders and they turn into like 
terrain on the map that you have to avoid when you're fighting and stuff like that. Um, but <laughs> anybody that's listening, go look at the trailer for this because it it like brings back Beyblade vibes and like old school like Crossfire like on Nickelodeon style. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Trailers. Have to send it to you after the episode. Yeah, you have to watch this. But uh, the update is that the pre-production copy uh, has come in from the manufacturer and the game looks so sick. The box is like glow in the dark and stuff. It's like as 90s as you could possibly get. Um, And it just it looks really, really cool. So I'm really excited. And what what excites me personally, what I think is cool is you literally can use Play-Doh if you want different colors of like clay because it's Play-Doh. So like. You can it's just Play-Doh go out compatible. And buy. Yeah, so you can literally just go out and buy whatever colors you want if you don't like, because they're like neon green and neon purple. So like I, you know me, I like orange. So I'm gonna go get like orange Play-Doh and have like orange characters. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I've been waiting for like this update for a while. And then the new project, I know I've talked about uh, Dungeons and Dragons a lot and D and D terrain. Uh, I have backed just for like cheap terrain the dungeons and lasers 2 kickstarter which is unpainted on sprues uh terrain so it's like literally you got to break it off of little bits of plastic but it's quite cheap compared to all of the other dungeon terrain you can buy and they also have these huge dragons that they include with your pledges um and it looks really neat and i would recommend people check it out especially if they're interested in terrain they look super easy to paint which is good for me because i'm a garbage painter though i've been getting better (laughs) um so it's just it's i think it's going to add a lot when we can finally uh get together in the after times that's right here's to the after times yep those are really my up my two updates i just really wanted to talk about those two things because they excite me excellent Gemma, are you backing anything on kickstarter these days uh, no, I have not even had a look. I've been swamped with uni, sadly. Mm-hmm. So and I just shipping to get Australia my recommendations is... from the podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> shipping to Australia is pretty prohibitive for a lot of them, too, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. Honestly, it doesn't feel that worth looking a lot of the time. I feel like shipping anything to Australia is usually kind of prohibitive, but... Yes. I don't know. So Gemma, as the first woman on our show, you provide a unique insight that me, Ben, and the other seven men we had on here might not have been able to provide. So can you tell us a little bit about gaming as a woman or just a hobby as a woman, maybe? Absolutely, I can. It's funny because originally I wouldn't have thought I had a different experience. It doesn't really seem like it's been an issue. And how um, other of compared- me <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for just, you know, illuminating my own experience to me. I didn't need to know. <laughs> this. Did I, did I mansplain um, woman hobbiness for you? Yeah, you've told me that I've been, you know, persecuted <laughs> in this hobby. And now I feel it. Um, but I, I think it's actually quite interesting because compared to something like video games, where I've experienced a lot of like very blatant um, verbal aggression and sexism, and you you really do feel othered. I wouldn't have said I felt that in board games. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, the only very blatant kind of verbal aggression I've ever received while board gaming was actually from another woman. But then when I actually think about the more intricate or subtle things in the hobby, I realize actually it has probably 
I've probably had experiences that you haven't or that you wouldn't even think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mainly it comes from the fact that I started this hobby as a child. Like my family is big on board games. We used to play a lot of card games and board games together every Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it's always been this really wholesome activity. You know, I was always a cousin, not a female playing. Right. So I never felt different. Like it just, no one's gender had ever been relevant in the game. We're all just equals. But then when I actually think about trying to join more board game groups and find more people that play in my life, because my cousins, they're all spread out across Australia. So it's very rare. We actually get to play. It was mostly Christmas, sometimes Easter. Um, But as I look back and I try to think of the times I've tried to cultivate more board gaming in my life, they've actually gone pretty badly. Mm -hmm. So for instance, the first time that um, it was both my sister and I, we tried to join a board game group or like a board game night. So basically a meetup in our our city. It was recommended to us by the guy who sold us a board game in the shop. He's like, oh, by the way, if you love board games, you should come along to this thing. And it sounded really great. You know, it's just a room full of people playing board games. You pay a couple dollars, they order some pizza. Sounds like an absolute dream night, which I'm sure you would agree. Right, but maybe it was a dream night as a man and not as a woman. That's right. So we show up and we actually did come with a male cousin and we get there and, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing, playing their own games. There was a lot of Warhammer going on, which I'd never seen before in my life. And we, I think, had even brought a few of our own games that we were excited to play, Uh, but we just could not get anyone to interact with us. So for a while we sat there at a table, um, you know, hoping some people would maybe come and talk to us. And someone eventually did. They came over and they said, oh, you're about to play whatever that game like we had on the table. That's really fun. And we're like, oh, actually, we've never played it before. Like, would you want to play with it? Would you want to play with us and maybe teach us? And they were like, oh, no, like, I'm about to join this game and just waltzed off. Hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, maybe he was just really excited about that other game. Um, But it didn't seem to matter what we did. Like, all night, we couldn't get anyone to engage with us. Mm -hmm. And we just ended up leaving early. I think we tried to play a few games on our own. But three players is not a fun time often. Right. Um, so we left and we were really disappointed because we were really looking forward to it. And we thought as newcomers, maybe people would be a bit more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we actually ended up sending the organizer a message just saying like, you know, hey, we came but found it really hard to engage with anyone. Like it was a little disappointing. Now, out of curiosity, and this is just from my male experience going to the meetup at our the brewery that we went to for a couple of times jonah was the person that you emailed like was there a woman involved in running the game night at all or was it just like a guy or a couple guys i can't still even say who was really running it i don't know Hmm. if it was run by the board game shop or they just knew about it yeah, um, it was definitely a male that told us about it and a male, I think, that responded to our message. And what they had said in that message was like, you know, I'm sorry you had a bad experience, but these guys, they don't, like, they're very awkward. That's why they've joined this hobby. They don't know how to talk to women, which is That's then what kind excuse. of felt very othering. Because originally yeah. you could write that experience off as like, 
we were newcomers. We didn't know how to integrate ourselves as two females and a male. Mm -hmm. But then the response was very much like, you're intimidating. People didn't know how to talk to you. And while I think he had good intentions in apologizing. He missed the um, point. It's not. Yeah, he missed the point and there's nothing to really do from that. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I think he did say maybe come back and I'll try to get a game going for you or something. Or like next time, speak to this person. But right. Yeah, it's it's like, just do you like, respond and say, sorry that we're women and we should know better <laughs> than to arrive and expect someone to talk to us? Like, you know. Basically, I think... I'm a lot madder about it in hindsight. Like it was a bad experience, but it didn't, mm -hmm. I don't know. It didn't really sour me on the whole field that much. Right. And you just thought, oh, you know, they were awkward people that play Warhammer. Maybe they're not our type of board gamers. Right. And I think just because we had that mail there, it didn't, I didn't connect until that message that, oh, it's because I'm a female. Even yeah. though you had your male cousin who had the secret man password for the event, right? Well, that's right. I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't try and like scout him into their games and just leave me and my sister on our own at that point. Not that he'd ever agree. Right. Well, I know the, the reason that I kind of asked was because our meetup is run by a husband and wife pair. Aww. So I think they do a pretty good from my experience having been there i haven't been in a while but from my experience they were always really good at getting everyone involved because i think they bring that perspective in a little bit as well but also they don't play any games really while they're there they literally oh. just walk around and like facilitate other people playing like i almost feel bad because they spend so much time and energy like arranging this meetup and they just show up to like essentially facilitate other people playing games but at the same time it's really good for newcomers and i think i mean i don't know because it was fairly easy for me to get involved with the game but i remember the first time i went it was myself and then there were two women who were the first people there and they were like hey do you want to come play a game and i was like okay sure but i think having a husband and a wife run it together helps bring that perspective in so i know from at least from my meetup it didn't seem like so much of an issue and i was wondering if your meetup kind of had something similar or not yeah the one in melbourne that we would go to first of all i think was maybe the best meetup i've ever been to i mean there were i think like 70 people there on the tuesday nights it was really really busy on a and, tuesday night yeah that's crazy yeah and i I don't know. It was a few years ago for me, and I'm sure I'm misremembering, but I feel like it was 60-40 guys-girls or something like that. Yeah, it definitely didn't seem to swing heavily one way or the other. Yeah, and I, you know, our game group for that meetup was mostly women, and I mean, as a man, I felt like the <laughs> women were welcome at the meetup, but, you know. Yeah, I definitely I always felt part. welcome there. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a real shame that my first experience with a meetup was so like uncomfortable and not welcoming and whether or not it was because I was a woman or just because I was a newcomer right. and there was not that, um, like there was no seemingly good organiser or facilitator there. I right. honestly just never considered going to that kind of thing again. So I'm glad that through mutual friends, I did get dragged along to the one where I met you and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I, I don't think I would have tried 
that again on my own volition, mm-hmm. which is a real shame. Um, yeah, it just seemed like maybe a hobby that was too hard to crack into purely on your own. You kind of need someone else to bring you along. Right. Luckily, Ben has me for all the uh, conventions we go <laughs> to. I don't talk. I don't talk to people. I and I talk to too many people. Yeah, we're, we walk around, and Jonah walks over to people who are playing games, and is like, "Hey, do you need someone to help explain this game?" <laughs> or, "Hey, let me get your number. We could play a game later." And I'm just like oh. following along. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> See, that's yeah. what the hobby needs more of. Yeah, that's what I, I love about the more Jonas. Yeah, absolutely more. More Jonas, less Ben. I get it. <laughs> oh no. There's room for both of us in the hobby. And maybe yeah, maybe can... Gemma as well. Oh. Oh, that's rude. <laughs> but so other than meetups, I think um my experience has been pretty stuck to people I've met before or know through friends. And that's had I think actually oh sorry, Jonah. No, go on. Oh. Um so it wasn't for a few years after that that we tried you know kind of pursuing board game friends again because it's something that we really want we love board games but there's only three siblings in my family it's not that good you can't even play 500 it's devastating (laughs) um so we met just by chance someone in a store they were working we went to buy a present and somehow the i think we were buying a kindle but the conversation turned to board games and how much we love it and we can't play with anyone because meetups are suck and are so horrifying. <laughs> but so they ended up telling us about their board game group and how wonderful it is and that we should come and play. And we thought, oh, you know what? Like, we'd love to. You seem like a normal person that's willing to include us. Um, and that, you know, I think it was actually more of a D&D group. So I felt a little misled just as a side note. <laughs> but we, we played for over a year with this group. And it was mostly okay, but it definitely had these undertones of like, you're definitely a woman that plays board games. Like, ooh, how hot. Like, ugh. So it, it's kind of that more uncomfortable thing that I don't think you'd ever really consider in your, your games. And right. in my history, it's always been that very platonic hobby. So mm-hmm. then when you're in a pretty set group of people, and people start trying to bring like feelings into it. It was very off-putting, and it was very much like, no, no, no one can get involved. You'll ruin the group. Mm-hmm. I obviously care way more about board games than you <laughs> as an individual human. And like, it ended up getting like really tense, really uncomfortable. Weird. Um, and we just broke away completely. So I was like, oh, you know, playing with single guys. You can kind of tend to, and this is the same in video games. You can tend to get a bit, for lack of a better word, like fetishized. I can never say that word, but you know the word I want. Fetishized. Thank you. We also we said no one's going to be able to understand which word we chose out of those two, <laughs> so we'll just say one of those. One of those two that Joan and I said at the exact same time. I think for video games, there's an and. Obviously, I don't know, but I think there's an added element of not seeing the person you're talking to. And I mean, that's just for like toxicity in video games in general, obviously yeah. amplified towards women, but in board gaming, at least you have to see the person. So yeah, you're much more likely to be face to face. And that's why I right. think originally I didn't realize there was kind of effects of being a woman in this hobby because no one's going to be blatant about it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any issues with how a lot of 
female characters are drawn or shown in board games? Uh, I think I'm just kind of used to it at this point, which is quite sad. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely bothers me more in video games when the characters are walking around and, you know, they have annoying noises or something that they make. So board games are at least one-dimensional on that front. Uh, But again, you just, you're used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of the complaints, at least nowadays, on like Kickstarter, for example, is that like any board game that has some sort of battle element to it and has women, they like have no armor on, or their armor is like a bikini, and right, like that's, I don't know, that's like very impractical armor. Like it doesn't make sense. So like, not, not even, but, but that's how I, as a guy, would see it as opposed to, like, saying, oh, this is, like, fetishizing women in a board game form. In my head, I'm just like, this is impractical armor. Can you just give them armor that actually makes sense? But, like, that's 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 a perspective that I'm able to have because I'm not someone who's, like, I'm not affected by it. You know what I mean? I think it's <laughs> no, just it the idea that sex me. sells. Sorry, go well, on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, I if sex the sells, the... <laughs> we'll get it right one of these times. It's the delay, Gemma. You go. <laughs> I'll be quiet. Yeah, it's the, it's the no, I think we're delay. just both saying the same points, but swapping. I think the practicality of their very low armor is terribly annoying, and it is the fact that you know they'd rather these characters to be sexy than practical is terribly infuriating. Right. And what I was going to say is the same thing. Sex yeah. sells, <laughs> and in a male-dominated hobby, they're going to try and make more money. Mm. And I think it also plays up a bit in D&D. It can be a little, um, I don't know, sometimes males will play female characters, and that can be a little tense. Oh, God, I play uh, a female yeah, character. It's a, it's to a be, to be fair, Jonah, you're a, you're, a, you're a snake woman. You're like part Ooh. snake. It's That's right. But yes, you do play a woman, Sam, with lots of S's. And I'm not saying that men can't play women, but don't go the very stereotypical route when you do. Yeah, I know. I've heard so many horror stories of men role-playing women and like hitting on other women's characters in-game as well and just like really nasty stuff. Yeah, I think to sum up on that, I think... Just don't bring feelings into board games groups is what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you need a group. So all of these problems end up being not really specific to board games for me. It's going to always be actual just interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. But then I think that's probably true in any hobby. Right. And like I've tried the alternative of playing with married men instead because then I can have my perfect world. No one's going to ruin this. Well, turns out they still do because, you know, you're seen as a threat to their wives who maybe don't participate in the hobby. Oh, man, I hope I'm not that this... married man. Well, no, it's amazing that you're not. Because <laughs> I had just, like, given up finding people after my third experience of reaching out to someone I knew had a board game group. Again, I knew through mutual friends instead of meeting them in a store, so they're more likely to not be a psycho. They're married, so they're not going to like fall for me, or at least naively, I'd like to believe that. 
How many um, tries did but, it take to meet Jonah? Well, I had given up, and it just happened by happenstance. I had friends drag me to the board game cafe. Oh, really? Where I know. Yeah. I didn't know I that. had just, like, I was playing with Ellie at that point, or, like, we we just knew each other and we knew we liked games. And she was the the brave one to attend these horrible meetups in my head. And mm-hmm. kept talking for weeks about how fun it was and how great everyone was. And there was these two guys specifically she met that were super fun. Is that me and Jake? It is. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly fun, probably at that point. Super fun is not an apt description, but they <laughs> each their own, I guess. Well, look at you. This is the longest board game friendship I think I've had outside oh, wow. of my own family. Yeah. It, I'm was, honored. it would have been years ago, 20. 18, I think that started. Yeah. That's longevity. As well. Exactly. You've given me so much spaghetti. This long trail of I've things that so have all led spaghetti. to spaghetti. <laughs> Not going to lie, so I much. thought at first spaghetti was a nickname for like a person. And I was like, oh. you're calling this person spaghetti, but then it was a cat. It'd be a great person name. It's a great cat name. It's a decent cat name. Yeah, Just basically, to... it's really hard to make friends in mm-hmm. this hobby as a female is what that comes down to. And you just have to wait for a very long time until you find people like yourselves <laughs> that just actually want to play board games as much as you. Yeah. it's uh, So this reminds me a little bit of in the NBA right now, the players protested. They went on strike effectively for a game or two to raise awareness because, you know, Black Lives Matter and they're police shooting black people all the time. And Charles Barkley, who is an ex-player and is a person of color, was on the CNN show. He was with Wolf Blitzer. And Wolf was asking him some questions and Charles is saying, you know, this is another reason it's exhausting being black because people are going to come to you and they're going to ask you a question and then all of a sudden you have to answer on behalf of the entire black community and you have that weight of knowing something you do can be extrapolated to all people of color because of it and there's you know there's a i think it's a it's a known thing in psychology i forget what it's called but you know if i see ben do something stupid i'll say wow ben is stupid and if i see Gemma do mm-hmm. something stupid i'll say wow women are stupid and i think just you know coming into the hobby and trying to break in any any small thing you might do could be seen by someone as like, wow, all women do that. Or wow, she made a mistake at this game. Why should I have another girl come into the game? So, And just to clarify, neither myself nor women are stupid. It was just an example. Oh, yes. Sorry. Got ahead <laughs> of myself there. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine why some people would maybe have had bad experiences with women in board gaming and assume, you know, this is a man's hobby. Like, mm-hmm. I've definitely had times where I've wanted to play board games with my friends and their wives want to join in because they don't want to be left out, even though they don't like board games. And that's always been a terrible experience. I don't know if yeah. you've often had to play board games with people that don't like board games, but I honestly refuse to do it now. Mm-hmm. Oh, like my so I can imagine, like, if that's been their only introduction to women in the hobby, it's been through basically people being dragged into it that don't want to be there whether right. by themselves or by their husbands. I can see why people would be hesitant, uh, but I think it's really disappointing to not recognize 
that that wouldn't be every single woman that wants to play board games. So I had I had actually at that meetup I had a terrible experience gaming with a woman. However, <gasps> however, <laughs> the only result of it is I will not play a game specifically with her again, and I will specifically yes. never play Firefly the board game <laughs> or Catan again. But oh, I don't yes. hate playing games with women. I enjoy playing games with everybody. Mm. But I will specifically not play a game with her again. But just Jim, her. Gemma, I want to hear about the bad experience you had with another woman. Yeah. I I actually messaged a friend trying to remember exactly what was said. But basically, we went to a werewolf meetup. So when Ooh. I said I didn't ever go to a meetup again, I had forgotten that I did this. But I went with uh, a group of friends. I think there was four of us together. It was right before Christmas. You know, we were feeling real jolly. So we went to Queen of Spades. I don't know if you ever went there. I did. Um, but they have a very large table upstairs. You know, you could come and just play werewolf, which is something else I've been craving outside my family because we don't meet up a lot. We actually called it Mafia. I don't know if yeah, if we that have would that help here anyone. Too. You should try Blood on the um, Clock Tower. We'll talk about this all later. <laughs> I was just getting Ooh. to you, uh, getting ahead of you, Jonah. But continue, Jonah. Please sorry. do. No, no worries. Um, but yeah, so basically we were just playing Werewolf. Um, for anyone that doesn't know that game, it can scale really large. And basically people are secretly evil and you're trying to out them in a group. And it's mostly just an interpersonal game of trying to figure out who is lying, um, who has some secret information like who's actually evil if they have that power. Um, so it is just primarily a discussion between a large group of people. And I happen to be sitting in fairly central position in the table. And, you know, it can be quite awkward at the beginning when you don't know anyone for the discussion to start. You don't have a lot of information to go off, especially in the first round. Um, but as the game went along, you know, a discussion kind of would be mostly in the middle of the table where I was. And at one point, I had kind of said, like, oh, does anyone over here, like, to the right of me, I think, like, do they want to say anything? And then this girl from the other end of the table was just like, can you just stop? Like, you are dominating the game. It's not fair. Like, let others talk. And I was like, wow. that's actually exactly what I'm trying to do. So it was very confusing. And, like, I was taken aback. My friends were also really taken aback because they all obviously know dominating isn't something I would ever really do. I don't actually particularly enjoy public speaking or, you know, being the centre of attention. <laughs> so it was really quite stunning. Um, and that's, yeah, the only time anyone's been outwardly aggressive to me in a game, but also it was kind of a personal attack rather than right. doing something mean in a game. So it was just, it was very odd. We didn't know what to really make of it. Everyone was just kind of like, that's a weird outburst and then kept going um and then we just talked about it a lot afterwards like whoa what was up with that person like what's her problem with you why did she hate you so i don't think it's just me that felt odd about it mm -hmm. i think my friends were maybe even more offended than i was but those now we good, just laugh are good friends it, yeah they are actually <laughs> well i think they're all just stunned because like, it wasn't me just, you know, accusing everyone and saying, this is our plan, everyone follow me. Right. I was genuinely was. just trying to get some um, input from the other end of the table. I think I maybe even knew that the, like, Night's Watchman or the person that has inside information was over there. 
or like I know there was a reason I wanted those people to talk and they were perhaps a bit too shy. So I was just trying to bring them in. You were doing your part. I was trying to. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to have an outburst at somebody in a game like that, especially. It because, is. like, the whole point of games like that is to yell at each other to get information. At least that's how I play right? <laughs> Seems pretty suspicious, honestly, of her. I don't even remember the outcome of the game because nothing was more interesting than that outburst. <laughs> but honestly, I wouldn't have been shocked if she was the werewolf and she knew she was going to get outed. That's but exactly. that would also explain it, at least in game, rather than her just having a problem with me, which is more likely, I think, at the time, what we thought. But yeah, those have been my experiences as a woman in the hobby. I don't know how interesting you might find that. I find um, it, it very interesting, and I can't chime in with my experiences as a woman in, in the hobby, so, you know. <laughs> no one's ever told me yeah, to right. adjust my skirt or... Uh, oh. Anything like that? No one's ever ruined your board game groups with feelings? Uh, no. That's Can I beautiful. play board games with my wife, or does that involve feelings no, and board games the, together? Everything. <laughs> Only if you don't um, exhibit any favoritism to her in the game, which I've also seen. So, oh yeah, I hope that's not you. No, we're enemies. In real life and games. <laughs> That's exactly what I hoped to hear. <laughs> so Gemma, as the guest host this week, you were able to choose a game and you chose a game that Ben and I know nothing about. <laughs> I didn't even tell Ben the name of it because we want to react in real time to everything you have to say. Yeah, this is this has been a a three-day-long mystery for me, and I'm interested to see what, what the outcome is. Well, I hope it doesn't let you down. Um, this <laughs> is might. a favorite game of mine. I think favorite game of my whole family's. And this is actually the game. No, oh, well, fair. <laughs> favorite board game as opposed to card game, if you make a distinction. This is actually the game um, that my sister and I bought when they told us, oh, hey, come to our creepy board game group that will ignore you. So at least something good came out of that interaction called my favorite game, Panic Station. Uh, big reveal. I don't know if you've actually ever no. even heard of that. No, but I I'm think interested it came to hear out, uh, about it. I think it's from 2012. So 2011, you know, but really yeah. It stood the test of time. 2011. I just looked better. it up, but yeah. Well, I can't wait to celebrate its 10-year anniversary next year. I hope I'm looking, it has I'm looking at know, it now. I'm, a lot of fanfare. So, don't I'm look gonna, yet. Gemma has to describe it so you can picture it. I'm looking as she describes, so I can literally yeah, the picture it as she describes it. Context. So basically, Panic Station is a game where you're all... It's a generally cooperative. You're all trying to find and destroy a hive in a base station that you explore through uh, playing cards from a deck. Except you're not all trying to destroy the hive because someone is actually the host. So someone is infected with this parasite mm. and they're actually trying to just basically not get the hive destroyed. So they can win through either having all of the human players killed or... Uh, infecting everyone else. 
So it starts out you're alone as the host or you might not even have a host until the first however many players there are cards have been drawn. So you may not even be immediately dealt with it. But you start out alone as the trader and then can slowly through trading infect others, Mm. have them join your team secretly. And then, you know, you're all working together towards that ulterior goal, which I think is what's really interesting about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, How many people do you generally like to play it with? We play it with five or six people. I think technically you can play with four, but I wouldn't ever do it. It's known mm-hmm. as a lame fourer in our family, and it isn't, it's just not fun. I think um, it, five or six I'm pretty indifferent between. Mm-hmm. What can it play up to? Six. Just checking. So I think you it's never a know when games go player. up to 15 or some crazy number. Yeah. I wish they would. I would love an expansion. Especially because in my family, there's 16 of us cousins. So it was Holy just like God. everyone fighting to be one of those six players. <laughs> it's a Have lot. Have you thought it's of buying a second games. copy? <gasps> Actually, a great idea. I think one of my cousins has tried to buy this later and just can't find it anywhere because it's such a niche game that is terribly underrated and deserves much higher than a six on Board Game Geek. Oh, I was wow. I was just about to say I I'm looking at it and <laughs> just so you know on like you can buy it on the Geek Market in the U.S. for like twenty five bucks from the Geek Market, but if you want the Honestly, one that comes in like a tin, in in like a tin. It's two hundred fifty dollars. It's like must be out of print or something crazy like that. But um. Oh, so we need a tenth anniversary edition. I have the tin. I didn't know it was worth anything. Let me let me just talk really quickly about buying and selling games on Board Game Geek. Twenty five dollars for this. However, U.S. buyers pay fourteen dollars USPS priority mail. What? No. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just hard no. But okay, that's an that's just an aside. Shipping sucks. Let's just play it that way. Sh- shipping sucks. All right, Gemma, tell us more about shipping the game. Shipping does suck. Yeah, tell us more about the game because it actually sounds pretty interesting. What do you love? Yes, what do you hate? You think so? I'm so glad. Uh, okay, what I love about the game is that um, unless you start as a host, you never actually are sure what you'll end up as. Whether you'll be on the team human or the team infected. And in the actual rules, the win, the win conditions are if the infected team wins, everyone but the last infected player can count it as a victory in order to kind of discourage people from turning at the last minute when it looks hopeless, which I think oh, is so quite like interesting. Also, like if the humans work against their own interest to try and become infected? That yeah, because it like it's pretty easy to get infected if you want to. But if you do that, the game How says apt. you don't actually win if you're the last um, so I think that's that's a good rule to kind of get around that. But basically what it means in that you don't know which team you'll end up being on at the end is like maybe as a human, obviously you want to give your whole strategy to winning as a human, but you always kind of need to in your mind maybe be aware of the holes in your plan, firstly mm-hmm. because others might take advantage of them but secondly you might want to if you switch and you want to then be a good infected and i think that's how good gameplay should be done for this game in that if you get infected you shouldn't be like salty and angry and still try to help the humans win that's wrong 
get yeah, out. You have you a can't backup play plan. if that's what you're doing. Yeah, you need to then suddenly give your whole game to the infected team, in my opinion. So I think that kind of having that in the back of your mind during the game makes it really interesting. Like you just you're very aware of the whole the holes in your plan or you know the options you have. Or so maybe you won't want to actually give a key card, for example. So there can be locked doors that you find and you need either a key card to get through them or you need to unlock the doors at the computer lab, which is another card. But instead of giving that key card to some other human, you might want to keep it for yourself just because that's so valuable, whichever team you're on. And if you or they get infected, obviously you'll want still just you to have it. Right. So you can never truly trust anyone else. You're always paranoid, which I think makes it really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know who's lying to you. Probably everyone. Yeah. Um, so not not to change the game up, but based on the description, Ooh. I think I would like to try and bring you in on a game of who goes there, because Ooh. this sounds so much like who goes there, except who goes there is like a like a not card play it's like a board uh-huh. and playing ah. you play cards but you move around like a board um and i definitely want to get back to panic station but when you said the paranoia bit they literally market this game who goes there which is based off of the novel who goes there which is what is the basis for the thing um they they market it as a paranoia driven game because there are cards that tell people they're infected so like if you get if you get like injured in some way, you can become infected. But oh. then anytime you're trying to trade goods with people in the camp, because you're in like an Arctic camp, anytime you try and trade goods, people are like, oh, well, they have like two or three potential infected cards. Um, or this person has two or three potential. And you're like trying to figure out the odds that like, it's possible that one person has one infection card and they're infected and someone has seven infection cards and they're not, but you're like the odds that this person is infected are way higher than that person. But like every time you trade goods with somebody, like if you trade with someone and they're infected, they like sneak you their card. So like you need to make this decision on whether or not you actually want to trade goods within the camp to survive. And by the end you need to escape on a helicopter but if <laughs> any infected players get on the helicopter, the infected team wins. Um, I don't know. It seems like a game based on this. It seems like a game you would like. And I'd love to try and bring you in on a game at some point because I do want to try it again. But there is a second edition coming out that I'd like to. Hopefully they come out with like a tabletop simulator version of that first. But um, yeah, it it's definitely a brutal game. Like it, you can die in the middle of the game. So it's it's tough. But it sounds very similar to this, so I think you might enjoy it. So I just wanted to bring that up while we were talking about this game. I am terribly excited to play that now. That it does sound right up my alley. <laughs> I'm always looking specifically for these type of games where there's, you know, secret traitors. I think that's one of my favorite mechanics. Um, but maybe I will elaborate a bit more then on the, um, like the map building element, which distinguishes this game. And then also, in case I forget, the trading of it. So firstly, what I like about building your own map instead of having just a board is that obviously it's a bit of a cliche, but it's different each time. Um, But so, you know, especially when you know there's traders in the game also building out the map, 
if there's really good cards that you know you need, obviously you want them to be pretty accessible. But mm. if you're a trader, you obviously want, you know, you might want to put that down a long corridor of um, the little bugs that are in the game. So it's not even just the traders, I should have mentioned. There's little parasites that move around the map with you and they do damage. You can die pretty easily to them when they swarm, which is another fun part about the um, board being built by the cards. If you don't have enough rooms coming off other rooms, when it's the parasite's turn to move, they can often end up hitting a wall and staying there so other parasites will catch up to them and it builds this big swarm. And when each parasite does one to two damage and you have four health per character, you can die. It's like it's actually really terrifying. That sounds really interesting. How easy Do you, you panic can die. in the station? You definitely panic in the station. There's a lot of screaming. Oh man! Um, and that's another point I should mention is you you control a human or a trooper and a android. An android. So the android can wield a gun, and they can use that to kill parachute uh, uh, parasites, or you can shoot other people. And the human is the only one that can actually burn down the hive. So mm. the android can't use gas cans for some reason, but it makes it fun, so don't worry about it. Um, and either can die and you can share your items between those two um, as long as, you know, it's only the android you're giving the gun. Interesting. <laughs> I love that. Does it ever get a little too uh, difficult to manage multiple people? No, it's actually quite smooth and you can share their action points between them and you only get four. So when, you know, between building, attacking someone, searching, using an item or moving all takes an action, having max four is like it's actually really low, it feels. Mm -hmm. And as you go down health, you actually go down action points. So it gets easier and easier as you start dying. Though you can bring your health back up. Mm-hmm. But so it's not hard ben to manage did. it all. Yeah. I was just going to say that I know Ben is big on action point systems in board games. Ooh. I do like action point systems. This game sounds like something I'd like to play. And I know I posted <laughs> in our chat as we're discussing this that there is a tabletop simulator mod of it. And I'd be 100% down <gasps> to give it a shot. So I don't know how it is. I just found it. It's the only one I found. Right. But it sounds really cool and it sounds like a game i would like so i would definitely give it a well, shot i'm absolutely instead. willing to play i would hope tell so tell me whenever <laughs> you want to try okay uh and i'll be better at teaching it, it when there's parts there oh. um and then quickly on the other thing you mentioned which was the trading uh mm-hmm. so this game i think does a good job at forcing you to trade so whenever one of your characters enters a room that someone else is in you have to pick someone in that room to trade with, which is how the infections then take place, which I'll get to, or you can attack. So if you attack and it ends up being a human, which you won't know, um, Mm. obviously that's quite good for the traders. So then that whole paranoia of not wanting to trust anyone really works against the human team. Um, But then there's also if you're infected, you want to infect other people, so you do want to trade, or you could just kill them but then you won't have someone to help you. So there's a lot of trade-offs there. So I think the the choice between forced trading or attacking is quite an interesting one. And then how the infection takes place is if you're an infected person, 
and you trade someone your it's like a picture of blood which is actually pretty gross so if you trade them the infection card um they will get infected unless they trade you back a gas can and you don't know what each person is trading until it's completed Hmm. um I get. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I guess the gas can kind of the smell of it wards the parasites off in my head, so you don't get infected. But you'll now know that person tried to infect you, and generally you'll you'll use that information and share it. Uh, but so also not everyone knows that. No, nah. so that's a secret trade between those two people. And there's been plenty of times where both people are like, "What the heck? You just tried to you tried to infect me." And it's like that little Spider-Man meme of everyone just pointing right. at each other. It's yeah, a great you, one. You 100% would like Who Goes There. This yes. is so, so similar to like my Ooh. play of Who Goes There. These both sound really like up your alley. And they're up my alley, so they both sound really fun. How great. We'll have to play. Yes. And then the other thing with those gas cans is obviously you need those to burn the hive down. So mm. if you're always trading not to get infected and you're just giving away all your gas cans, you, there's only a certain amount in the game and you may not get the three you need to burn the hive down. Mm. So those are the things I love about this game and I can't wait to play now. That sounds yeah, really interesting. To try, so I'm excited. Well, I'm glad that I've sold more people on it. This, this was all just a, uh, a front for me to get more people <laughs> to play Panic Station. So I'm glad it's sells. It's actually kind of cool to have the uh, the game be something I'd never heard about before. Because then it's like oh. a, I don't know. Like I feel like I heard something completely new, and now I'm like excited to try it. Versus like having heard of a game before and knowing that I'm not like super interested in it, and like hearing somebody <laughs> just talk about a game I'm not super interested in. I don't know. It oh. was an interesting uh, change of pace. Excellent. Well, Gemma, since I'm glad the... you liked it. Since the game you chose has a trader mechanic in it, you chose the mechanic this week to be the trader <laughs> mechanic. <laughs> it was an obvious choice to me, um, but it was also another game I was tossing up for calling Game of the Week has that same mechanic. Um, you also would know I just mentioned Werewolf, which I you could argue has some traders in it. It's mm-hmm. clearly a mechanic I adore. Um and I think it's, yeah, it just adds another level to the game. Like, I love a co-op game where you're all working together. Uh, but the thought of all working together outwardly while you either have secret other motives or just blatant traitors, I think just makes it fascinating and, yeah, very paranoid gameplay. Yeah, I think it always adds a nice bit of tension to whatever game you're playing. And... Another thing that I really like about games that have a uh, trader in them, it always, I think, ends up with a game that tells a good story afterwards. Because there's always talk about, you know, when the trader was revealed or how the trader won, when they betrayed other people, all these, all these different things that can happen always get talked about. And I'm big on games that, you know, they don't have to tell a story, but I like games that you always want to talk about what happened in it right after you play it. Yeah, 100% I agree with that. And I think it is partially what I love about it is that it seems people get really invested. So even if you die and you're no longer in the game, you're still rooting for that team just because that clash really makes you care about it. 
So it's one of the games I less hate getting killed off in. <laughs> right. I think more than most games, this one, even when you die, you're still invested in the result, which is relatively rare. And it's still fun to sit there and watch the outcome because it is basically a story at that point. Mm-hmm. Just, I want to mention some of the bigger, well-known games that have the trader mechanic in it. Um, Battlestar Galactica is a very well-known game. Ben and I are big fans of that one. Gemma, have you played it before? I have played it, and it wasn't my favorite trader game. All right, moving on to another one then. Uh, (laughs) Nemesis, I know you both really enjoy, right? Have you played Nemesis? I don't think I've played it yet, but I've been desperate to. Oh, that's so I, that's what I remember. Your keenness to play, I guess. So mm. I I just sold Nemesis. Um, oh, for okay. a pretty penny, so it was worth it. But um, I really, honestly, I mostly sold it because I could get how much I got for it. Because um, I had the Kickstarter version. I played mm. it. I played it once, and I definitely thought that it was a cool game. Um, and I liked the systems in it. Now, this was actually a question that I was going to bring up at the beginning, because to me, Nemesis is more semi-co-op with your own objectives, as opposed right. to, like, trader mechanic. And I, I don't know if the two go hand-in-hand hand or not, necessarily, but in Nemesis, you're you're mostly working toward your own objectives that you're given in secret at the beginning of the game. And yes, you can screw other people over by, like, changing the destination to Mars instead of Earth on the ship. Um, But I'm not sure if I would say that there's necessarily a traitor in it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It depends on how you define it. Um, The one thing for me about Nemesis, which was another reason why I sold it, is it it is so heavily prone to analysis paralysis and has a long setup time that it took us, we had two people that were trying, when I first played, it was a four-player game, and two of the players, both back-to-back, would take upwards of five minutes a turn trying to min-max what they could do. And um, That adds up. It was a real pain, and it added up, and the game was like four hours long when it probably could have been like two. Um, Jeez. So, oh. Yeah. So it was it was a rough like first play of it, but like I could see the potential in the game, and if it's a game type you're interested in, it's really good. It just I was able to get a lot of money back for it, and I mm-hmm. so I took it. But I thought it was a cool game, and I would I would play it again like on Tabletop Simulator or something. I would play it. I just don't need to own it. I guess is a good way to put it. I would say I have played it. Um... But it was just overshadowed by the other game I played with that group, which was basically like an alien RPG, so I forgot. Um, but it goes back to that note you mentioned earlier about Kickstarter being so not worth it in Australia in that the friend I know that bought it bought it from Kickstarter. You know, you wait a very, very long time to get it. And then it was actually stolen out of the boot of his car, oh my which God. is the most tragic thing I've ever heard. And then he rebought it because either he had played it and liked it so much or was just so excited to play it that he's now sunk far too much money into that game when you add the absurd shipping costs to Australia on. So that's a pretty high review for that game, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I will say, but I agree. while things are absurd to ship to Australia, sometimes Kickstarter's more worth it because of all of the stuff you get that you can't get elsewhere to 
compound the shipping later if you wanted to try and get it all. Kickstarter's mm-hmm. a better option for certain games, which I guess is the case everywhere. That's the whole point of Kickstarter. If you if you want all the stuff, you have to go through the Kickstarter. But right. I feel like sometimes for games like that, where they're very large to begin with, that might be the way to go, even though the shipping is expensive to Australia. But again, I don't live in Australia, so I can't say with certainty one way or the other point it can be worth and i'm not saying don't ever buy a kickstarter yeah and just for the record i wanted to agree with your previous point i also wouldn't say having different objectives is necessarily a trader game i would say Mm -hmm. it's related and i still enjoy it uh Mm -hmm. but i prefer the more co-op with trader games so a lot of social deduction games are billed as trader games, like uh, Avalon, Werewolves, mm. a personal favorite, Blood on the Clock Tower. And I'm wondering, is there a trader, or is there just a bad guy who you're trying to figure out? Or are those the same thing? I think in Blood on the Clock Tower, there's a trader, because you have like outsiders that... Or is that what they're called? Outsiders that are like essentially aligned to the evil team, but mm-hmm. they kind of act like they're good half the game, I would say fits the bill for me as a trader, more so than just a different objective. But I haven't played the other games enough to, to really give a verdict on those. I just have played Blood on the Clock Tower a few times. Mm-hmm. to really say they're the same just because you don't have much of a goal or an objective in those sort of like werewolf games, the social deduction ones, other than finding the traitors. Mm -hmm. So they're not really being a traitor to any objective other than their own preservation. Mm -hmm. Whereas the ones I prefer, there is that goal that you're trying to achieve and they're just secretly undermining it the whole way. Or it seems the humans are undermining it for themselves, which is hilarious to watch. Right. Have you heard of or played Werewords? No. So Werewords is this very interesting take on werewolves where people are trying to figure something out and they have to ask yes or no questions. And the game master can only answer it with yes or no to help them figure it out. But one of the people who's trying to figure stuff out is a bad guy and trying to steer the people away from the correct solution. So they have to ask these yes or no questions that sway the answer somehow or like sway what people think is the correct answer. But the trick is they know what the answer is, which helps them think of the questions but everyone gets given little tokens. I haven't played it in a bit, but I'm pretty sure this is how it works. Everyone gets given little tokens on their turn when they ask a question that say yes or no. So you can track how many yeses and how many noes people have asked. And if you see like one person has all their questions a certain way, you might think they know what the answer is, so they're trying to steer us the wrong way, and that's why they have all noes or all yeses. And I thought it was a really interesting take on the trader mechanic, because like what you were just saying, in werewolves and these social deduction games, what is the goal that someone is trying to betray? And in werewords, there is a goal, and the questions are trying to steer you away from it. 
anything to add other than please put that on the list of games we play soon. That sounds yeah, really definitely. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really cool. I played it with Patrick in person, which means you know oh, more than awesome. six months ago. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think of the trader mechanic? Just uh, overall, I wrote down that, I mean, just like I mentioned before, it's really great for tension and storytelling. And it really, I think, can bring out fun experiences. But one issue that I think trader games can have is it's hard for new players to either get the game or it's hard for people who are new to a group to enjoy it as much. Because if you're a new person to a group, it could maybe affect your experience. Yeah, that was that was gonna be my one big, uh, like con, I guess, to the trader mechanic is just if you if you are the new player, and this is bringing up a game that personally I've never played, but it's probably the most famous trader game or one of, uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Um, if you are new to the game, and the haunt i think it's called if i recall correctly the part that changes yeah. up the game and reveals a traitor if you're new to the game and you suddenly become the traitor now it's like a whole new game that you might not know how to really play very well at this point and if it's a cooperative game that there is then a traitor and you are on the team that is not the traitor you could then be susceptible to quarterbacking because you're brand new and someone who's played before could be like, well, this is what the trader can do. This is what you should do to try and negate what the trader can do. And like, I think it could bring about some of those issues for new players. Mm -hmm. In my experience with um, Battlestar Galactica, which you mentioned earlier, in that if you don't know all of the things you can do, you don't really know how to prepare. And then halfway through the game, you're just suddenly told, oh, you're a Cylon now. Like, Good luck with that. Um, mm -hmm. It just... Yeah, maybe I only didn't prefer that game because I was a new player in a in a group of people that did know how to do it. Maybe I should give it another go. Mm -hmm. But it definitely is a big drawback on the category as a whole. And it holds me back from playing some games I love just because, like, for example, Shadows Over Camelot is one I love. Mm -hmm. um, but if no one or a few people in the group haven't played it, and it's a seven-player game, which is an you know unusual number, yeah. And I don't always know six people willing to play it that have played it. And it just, it can leave you a little unsatisfied when th there's quite a lot of different rules or things you can do. And you need to have that strategy in your head if you want to be a good trader. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it just it falls a bit flat. Yeah, I think also for a lot of trader games, um, you know, there are a lot of games that you and ex-friends can play for the first time all of you together and it could work out reasonably well but i think for a lot of like social deduction and trader games especially it's really hard to get a group of exclusively new people to play it and really see the game for what it is you know i'll play you know like we played barrage last week and i feel like i got a good understanding of how the game worked even though all four of us were new to the game whereas with a game with a trader mechanic or some social deduction in it it's really tricky to see the game for what it is when everyone's playing it for the first time. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Um, I'm trying to remember, I've been trying to think of it since you talked about Battlestar Galactica. I'm trying to remember if I was the Cylon my first game 
in Battlestar Galactica or not, and I can't remember. Um, I know that at one point I was a Cylon, and it was awesome, but <laughs> it was it was in a later game. It was not my. F- I know that the game I'm thinking of where it was awesome was not my first game. Um, so even though it's possible that I was the Cylon in my first game, um, and the Cylon would be like the the evil group in Battlestar the Evil Robot. I don't know. Yeah, the evil robots who can look like humans. Um, but in this specific game, I was the Cylon, and it was awesome. And I think that that's a pro of this mechanic, is it can change the feel of the game, and it can and is awesome most of the time, because you... It it flips the game on its head, and now you're like, ha ha ha, look at all this stuff I can do. And it to me, that's awesome. I... I find that to be a really fun part of this mechanic. Yeah, I've now convinced myself that I need to try that game again. But it it is a little prohibitive as a game to actually get into it. Just because and what I enjoy about these games, as I said earlier, is having those two different plans in the back of your mind of like, oh okay, if I stay a human, this is what I'll do. If I become a Cylon, this is how I would basically undo my plans. I couldn't have those plans in my head because I didn't know the game at all. So it seems like a game where you basically have to have a throwaway first play or few to get used to the kind of things you can do before it would actually be fun. Uh, but maybe it's worth it. And that's it seems tough. like you had a really great time. It's tough for a three-hour game. Like I don't think it's possible to play <laughs> Battlestar Galactica in under three hours. Right? Because you have to go so far... To get to Earth, you have to do all these checks, and it's just... I mean, I think it's a great game, but some games you just... No matter how quickly you play or how hard you try, you really can't bring the time down that much. The play time. For the record on that, I think I actually did end up winning as a Cylon, but it wasn't satisfying because it felt like a complete fluke. Uh, oh, what is it? Imposter syndrome or whatever Nick said about a barrage? Yeah. 100%. You know, I I was talking to Nick today because he played barrage the other night with Jake, also from Australia. And uh, Nick said that he did a lot worse <laughs> than he did the first time. But at the same time, he like saw a lot more uh, combos that could happen in the game. So, So he was an imposter. He will that for sure. Yeah. Um, I so I was looking at the list of trader games, and one of the ones that I've played, just because I think it's a, a slightly different style than the games we've mentioned, is um, Detective Murder in Hong Kong. I believe mm-hmm. is the exact name of it. Um, and I played it at PAX Unplugged. Now my bit my, my big complaint about the game because I it's a neat game but for me it was way too easy like it was super obvious you basically are laying like there's a storyteller which is like the murder victim and they're the person that's like facilitating the game and they lay out like weapons and like locations and whatnot and they're trying to give hints without talking to the rest of the group about how they were killed. But one of the people that's the investigator on the investigator team is a traitor and is trying to make the rest of the team guess incorrectly. Um, so, like, you're trying to say, like, oh, no, it was like the person. I think the person was killed with a gun, not a knife. 
even though like the person's trying to heavily hint that they were killed with a knife um and you're trying to do things like that and like steer the group wrong and i thought the game was really interesting but again even with the traitor in there my my one complaint about this game specifically and it is pretty much the only traitor game that i've played that in my opinion is this easy it's just so easy to overpower what the traitor is trying to say and like guess the right stuff because when someone at least specifically talking about this game when someone is giving clues and it's one person fighting against three to four people to try and convince them that the person literally giving them that clue is not right yeah that's a little weird it's a little it was a little weird and i thought like the concept was interesting and i like the idea of trying to steer the group wrong without trying to like outright have like sabotage everybody in like a big way but like put these like little hints in people's minds was neat i just think that combined with somebody giving hints made it a little too easy but i thought that was a different twist on the traitor mechanic that i've personally seen one game i like again it's shadows over camelot which i love i think their traitor mechanic is done really well in that at first, the trader does all the same actions as everyone else, but at some point in the game, if someone accuses someone of being the trader and they are correct, then that person just flips over their character card and they have a whole new set of actions that they can now use. Cool. So you block them from doing certain things like drawing from the deck and using those cards that you either need or can be really bad. Um, but then you do give them some other powers that are kind of OP, like adding more catapults, which are going to bring down Camelot. So there's a trade-off of if you know someone's a trader and they're not doing great at it, like you might just leave them uncovered. Um, but if someone's really good at undermining you, you kind of mm. need to out them and have them removed from certain actions. And it just adds a whole other element to that game, which I really enjoy. Have cool. you played it? I haven't, but I want to. I think Battlestar Galactica, oh. not to bring it back too much, I think that has the same idea because when you become a Cylon, you can't do certain actions. Right. And I was gonna I was gonna bring up Battlestar Galactica as well. However, the difference is, from what I can tell based on your description, Gemma, is in this one someone outs you as a traitor, whereas in Battlestar Galactica you're kind of outing yourself. At least in the games we played, Jonah, you're you outing out yourself. yourself. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone say like that. I mean, yeah, I guess people guess that someone's a Cylon, but you, I don't think you can like get guess right and force them to reveal themselves unless i'm remembering incorrectly right but you can throw them in the brig i think yeah. which really is punishing as a cylon obviously yeah. yeah i just think it's it's one of those this is one of those mechanics that i think is neat for the fact that you get completely new gameplay once you have been revealed as a traitor and i think it's like two stages of a game that change each time because if you're not the traitor the next game you don't have those powers you play it normally, but like someone else can get those powers. I think it's a neat, neat mechanic. This is a good choice, Gemma. Oh, I'm glad you think so. I think it's neat in that it kind of gives you two different um, like acts in a game. But also when you don't have it, like for in um, Panic Station, for example, if you're outed as the trader through something like an unsuccessful trade, and then you just have to continue on the whole game doing the same things. And while now you can be a little more blatant about your mischievous acts like right. you know spawning a lot of 
parasites, for example. Um, like no one's ever going to trade with you again or like they know to not ever like, you know, there's just, it sometimes can feel a bit more helpless. Whereas mm-hmm. if you out yourself as the trader and that gives you a new set of actions to use, it feels, I think it just puts people off being the trader less. And that's, I know, a reason people don't often like playing trader games is they don't like that feeling of being on their own while everyone else is a big team. That about does it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Gemma, for joining us all the way from Australia. What time is it there now? (laughs) It's 9.53, so it's not too bad. A.M. A.M., sorry, yeah. Yeah, so you're fine. This is a great way to start my day. I'm always up for a chat about games. Love it. All right, well, we'll have to play something next week then. Yes, please. This one we were just talking about. (laughs) there were so many we just talked about okay specifically the one that you think sounds a lot like panic station who goes there who are they who goes there who goes there all right well we'll do some information so we can try it at some point for all your listeners if they don't hear you say in the um what have you played this past week section if it's not that They'll know to be let down for me. They'll know it was a bad uh-huh. week. It'll be broken. <laughs> it's, like that, it's like that one time where I said I was playing Shia that night, and then I forgot to mention it for two weeks. <laughs> Can't disappoint our listeners. No. All right. Well, I will see you both later and yep. have a good one. Oh, uh, dogs over cats. <laughs>